0: cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com
1: hello everybody welcome back to extra time with me liam horobin episode 20 maybe Maybe 19, somewhere around there. Either way, thank you very much for listening. As always, Extra Time with Liam Horobin is presented by Betway. 19 plus, please bet responsibly. Hope you're all doing well. It has been a couple of weeks since we spoke. I've got to get in a better rhythm of this. I think we're in one now. I think I know what I got to do. So we should be good. International break just happened, hasn't it? So no Premier League football to talk about. But actually, that's a lie. We do have a little bit of Premier League football talk about later on. I'll give you a rundown of what we're going to do today. So obviously, we're going to talk about England, what they got up to over this past week. 1-1 draw against Ukraine, and then battering the Scots in Scotland, which is an Englishman It's always lovely to see. Always lovely to see. It was a very good match, actually, the other day. What day was that? Tuesday, I think it was. Um, lots of talking points there. Obviously, the the result in Poland not Ukraine. Um what happened in Scotland and how England played and then obviously every time we talk about England we have to talk about Harry Maguire, good or bad. This one's a bit of both, I think. But I think it's so uh, we'll, well we'll get to it. And then um the Athletic. I'm sure many of you are familiar with The Athletic release some voting things, I guess you could say polls. We'll call them polls of Best sign-in of the summer transfer window. Worst sign-in. Uh, there was other ones too, like who had the best transfer window. Is the Saudi league good or bad? What else was there? Managers in uh, in trouble. There was one other one too, I can't remember off the top of my head. But when we get to that, it'll be later on in the show. And then we'll round out the show with our Premier League predictions this weekend, courtesy of Betway. So I'll give out my 10 predictions for for the week. Or weekend, I guess you could say. No Friday night game this week, though. They've took that one off. Probably because it's internationals, I would assume. But yeah, anyway. Let's get on with the show. First place we're gonna go England versus Ukraine. 1 1 in Poland. I believe it was in, in Warsaw, is that where it was? Let's have a quick peek here. Yes. I think that's how it is in Polish. I would I would assume that's Warsaw, just from my uh, my brief understanding of Poland. But anyway, 1-1 there in the Euro qualifiers. Zinchenko opens up the scoring for Ukraine. Kyle Walker, first international goal for England. Good finish, too, to his credit. Very nice goal from uh, the England right back there. Let's see how many games he's played for England. I believe he's, he's got to be up there for England now. Seventy. 70- 78, so he played against Scotland too, so that would have been his 77th game for England. That's his first goal. Great ball from Harry Kane right over the top. Harry Kane basically at halfway as a striker, which is just crazy and makes him, I think, the best striker in the world is his versatility and what he's able to do. And that pass to Kyle Walker was, was a great example of, of what Harry Kane's all about. And then, of course, he goes and bangs home a goal Against Scotland, I mean, there's not many strikers in the world that can do that. Harry Kane's uniqueness is incredible. Arguably England's best striker ever? Probably. Actually, not probably. I think he definitely is England's best striker ever. And England have had a lot of good strikers. Wayne Rooney, obviously. Gary Lineker. Jeff Hurst. Hat-trick. In the World Cup final, 1966. Sir Jeff Hurst, my apologies. Anyways, England. Ukraine. It's fair to say England fans were extremely disappointed with the result and as an English fan I was disappointed because I think in these in these qualifiers England are expected to win every match and as a nation that they are being fourth in the world now I believe they they should probably be winning every game they play just to review England's group it's England Italy Ukraine North Macedonia and Malta and if you keep up with the England's, England England uh, national team you would know England've had a pretty good run in the uh well in the Euro qualifying so far 2-1 win over Italy 2-0 win over Ukraine at Wembley beat Malta 4-0 beat North Macedonia 7-0 in the last one and of course a 1-1 draw England have only allowed two goals two goals only for England and it's been a good run for them England are a very good football team and I think that's what disappointed people in this result. It's nothing to take away from Ukraine. It's just England have the firepower to beat a match, pretty much every team in the world, right? And then you look at it and you look at the team that played. Let's have a quick review of the starting 11 here. Um, Pickford in goal, obviously, back four of Chilwell, Mark Gahey, Harry Maguire, Kyle Walker, who's a goal scorer, as we mentioned. And then you have Declan Rice, Jordan Henderson as your uh, as your. Deep Blyan midfielders, I guess you could call them, Jude Bellingham in the middle, and then Saka Madison on the wings. Harry Kane up front. You'd think that team would be able to score more than one goal against a Ukrainian team, which is good, but not great. Good, but not great. They they play with a lot of spirit and they play very hard. There was a lot of players on that Ukrainian team that you could see were, were trying to get a result there. And, and to their credit, they, they fully deserve the point they got. They could have probably... Could have probably won that game. Looking through the stats here, England had 68% possession. Did have an expected goals of 1.34. Now, if you remember watching that game, Saka did hit the bar on, what was it? Probably around between 50, 60 minutes. That's when I went over to to Betway and placed a a bet on England to come back and win. It didn't work. That's all right. The only thing I'm kind of questioning in this game, though, was... um, was Gareth Southgate use of usage of his bench, and now this is something that's it's bugged me a little bit with Southgate, especially over this break. And so he brings on Rashford, Foden, and then Conor Gallagher at the 86 minute. So the first sub came at 65. You could kind of see the England team didn't have much flow in the first half. They weren't able to generate a lot. I don't think Saka actually played that good despite hitting the crossbar, I maybe would have taken him off. Madison wasn't too effective either. I feel like these substitutions should have happened a lot earlier in the match. And they were went off in the 86th minute for Conor Gallagher. I mean, what are you really going to get from Conor Gallagher in the 86th minute onwards? Good player. I don't know if he's good enough to be an impactful bench player with that little time left in the game. Rashford for Madison. Rashford comes on. He actually played okay, I suppose. But taking off Jude Bellingham and keeping Jordan Henderson on the pitch in a match you're trying to win just seems silly to me. No? Am I the only one that kind of thinks so? I'm not sure. Jude Bellingham is absolutely world class. Probably England's, safe to say, England's most informed player at the moment in the world. Obviously, he's been absolutely dominant for Real Madrid. And I just think. His ability to impact the game in a split second is something that England need in the the team for 90 minutes. Unless, obviously, you're winning and you can take him off and give him a bit of a break. Now, he did bring on Phil Foden for him, who, of course, is also as impactful of a player. But surely there's a way to keep them both on the pitch to have that impact? No? Just seems very silly for England to try and be pushing for a win but keeping Jordan Henderson on the pitch and substituting Jude Bellingham didn't like that at all. I actually would have liked to have seen Eze maybe in this match too. He's just a very direct player. I think what I would have done if I was Southgate, which I'm not, unfortunately it would be a lot richer probably won't be doing this podcast. I would have kept Bellingham on probably, do you know what? At that 65th minute, instead of taking off Bellingham, I would have taken off Henderson and maybe brought on a Gallagher. Someone like that. Just to he can be impactful with a little bit more left in the game. Rashford, sure. Keep him on. Bring him on for Madison. Obviously, can bring a lot of impact. I would have taken off Saka a little bit earlier and put Foden out on the wing there. I would have done that. Eze, obviously, like I said, could have been an impactful sub as well. But overall, a bit disappointing from... From Southgate, I think he just needs to put a bit more trust in his, in his younger players. And I understand it's playing away from home in internationals against a half-decent side like Ukraine. I'm not trying to discredit Ukraine by any means. What are they, like, 17, 24th best team in the world? They've had some good results over the time, too. Either way, you gotta you got to have some belief in these young players because they are the future of the squad at the end of the day. Like, when the Euros come around... Eze's probably going to the Euros. No, Foden obviously going to the Euros. I just think those guys need to, especially a guy like Eze, needs to play a bit more of an impactful role. We'll see if that kind of happens. England, no, disappointing. Disappointing result. And I think a lot of frustration was out there. But Simon Jordan said it on TalkSport. He's like, Southgate's job is to get England to the Euro finals and a 1-1 draw away from home at Ukraine isn't the end of the world. It's not like they went injury to Malta 1-1. Ukraine, again, half-decent team. You just want to see a little bit more. Back four was strong, though, to their credit. The goal was avoidable. I know a lot of people were kind of questioning what Harry Maguire was doing. and I, I get it. It looks like he starts marking his man, but if you watch it, he is trying to follow his man and just gets miscommunication there between him and Mark Gehi, who to their... Defense haven't played a lot together. Midfielder didn't come back and, uh, and track Zinchenko very well there, uh, did it. I think it's more on them than, than Harry Maguire. So overall, England got to be a bit, a bit better.
0: Ready to pop the question?
1: Onto England's second match of the international break was the one hundred and fiftieth anniversary. I think it was. Yeah, that seems right. Of England versus Scotland, although a friendly, not very friendly, especially to uh, to start the match. I'll be honest. When I was watching watching it, Scottish fans did uh, they intimidated me a little bit. I did think Scotland were going to be able to get a bit of a a good result here, but England's England's pure quality took over. I guess you could say, but either way, we'll start from the top. The uh, the anth- the anthems were special. I I think it's always good when the fans really get into it. And if you if you ever watch rugby, it's similar for for that when everyone sings the anthem. And England football has got a lot better at it. But I remember maybe twenty years ago, now there was. Uh, not a lot of people would sing along with the anthem, but now it seems to be a bit more prideful because the team's actually good, so that's really nice. But yes, England Scotland, England win three one. Phil Foden opens a scoring with a nice uh, a nice redirect there. I think that was that was one hundred percent deliberate from Kyle Walker, who hammered the ball across the box there, and uh, Phil Foden managed to get his foot on it and and redirect it into the net. Bellingham scored shortly after and. If you watch that goal from Bellingham, he made such—he's the one who started all that play, managed to get it to two or three other players touch the ball, and then because of his pure movement, get to the middle of the box, and uh, the ball eventually came to him, and he makes it two 0 England. Then does his uh, now famous celebration, I guess you could say, of sticking his arms out straight. Quite simple, really. At least it's not like the Robbie Keane one where trying to do the back roll and all that kind of or the forward roller cartwheel and all that kind of stuff. Then the finger guns. I think you do finger guns. That sounds right. Remember trying doing that once on the playground. Not good. Not good. This one seems more kid-friendly. Uh, Harry Maguire, God bless him. On goal, uh, of course. And then that did not help him online, but we'll get to that one in a little bit. And then Harry Kane finishes off the scoring with a, another fantastic play from, uh, from Jude Bellingham. Just... Dancing through the midfield a little bit. A lot of patience. Shows a bit of deception. Looking like he's going to shoot. Plays it through to Harry Kane, who does what Harry Kane does, and knocks it in for England to win 3-1. Much better game for England against an informed Scottish team. Beat Spain recently. Beat... who they beat? Norway. Cyprus a couple of times. Georgia. It's the first time England have... i uh, uh, sorry, Scotland have lost in 2023, I believe they said. So... Good for England, knocking off the Scots, knocking them down a couple of pegs, right? Something like that. Anyway, but Scotland did all right. It's just not as much quality in the Scottish side, but they've got a lot of pride in them. They actually could have qualified for Euro 2024 if Norway and Georgia had drawn. I believe Norway won that game 2-1. So still in the run in there to qualify. They should, and deservedly so. They're in a, They're in a difficult group as well. Spain, Norway, Georgia, Cyprus is on the up. Georgia is on the up, obviously. kravis is guiding him there. Spain, obviously always Spain. Norway with Holland, another team on the up. So Scotland, more than likely heading to the Euros. But yes, in this match, England's quality took over. I thought Rashford was, was good. I, I don't know. Rashford's one of those players for me that's obviously an excellent footballer, but I always feel like he does stuff that frustrates the crap out of me. Just runs with too many guys at once, and he just kind of slows it down a little bit too much. I feel like he's got to facilitate a little bit more. Foden was brilliant. Jude Bellingham was brilliant. Who else was there? Kyle Walker had a very good game, got that assist, obviously. Harry Kane was Harry Kane. Declan Rice, Calvin Phillips didn't know us too much. They just kind of were there. So that's that for that match, I think, um, within the game itself. Everyone played pretty well. Substitutions, I felt like, were a bit weird, again. A friendly. Obviously, like, England-Scotland is... The result matters in that game, whether it's a charity match with all the old England and Scottish players playing in it or a World Cup final. Every game matters when you play Scotland. You want to win, Scotland want to win. It's intense, and I get it. Like, England wanted to get a result here. I feel like bringing on Harry Maguire at halftime was very silly so unnecessary. I th- this We spoke about this on the last episode when they announced a squad. England do not have a lot of experience at centre-back. If John Stones is out or Tyrone Mings is out, there's about 80, 90 caps right there just gone. And then it's just Harry Maguire on his own, who is an experienced player. And again, England needed him in the squad because you have Tamori, Lewis Dunk, Mark Gahey, and Levi Colwell was the other one who combined maybe have 10 caps between them, maybe less. England, just play. There's no need to bring on Harry Maguire when you can bring on a tomore, given the experience of an international game in a hostile environment. Because it doesn't get more hostile than Scotland versus England, right? Bring him on then. But instead you bring on Harry Maguire to close out the game, I guess you could say. England would dominate in that match. And Harry Maguire didn't really do anything wrong besides score the own goal but it's a bit unlucky to his to his defense as well but I just feel like you know you can you can not play him that moment doesn't happen and we don't have to hear about Harry Maguire for the rest of the week instead we'll hear a lot more about Harry Maguire which we'll get into as well but that substitution was weird and then not bringing on anybody else until the 71st minute you bring on Eze yeah I like that one bring on Saka as well at the same time and then later on, again, you bring on Conor Gallagher at the 84th minute, give him a match, give him a game. See what Conor Gallagher can do in a 75-minute match or something like that. And then Callum Wilson at the 84th minute. Why not play Eddie and Ketier? The match is gone when you bring on Callum Wilson. The match is gone. England have won the match. It's 3-1. There's no need for it. There's no need for Callum Wilson to play in this game when you can play in Kettier, given the experience. Again, Levi Cowell should have probably come on as well at some point. Maybe could have started him. I don't know. It just seems so odd that you bring in these guys and I'm not saying they have to play, but you have a friendly. Give him 10 minutes. Give them 10 minutes to show what they can do. Give him that moment. But Southgate just doesn't do that. He's done it a couple of times now. I think he did it with Ivan Tony as well. And it's just such a strange method to the madness. You can give those guys a game. They get the experience. It's beneficial to you. It's beneficial to them. It's beneficial to England overall. Let them play. Let the boys play. Phil, Jude Bellingham, best player on the pitch by a mile. It wasn't even close, to be honest. Got back into his World Cup form for England. What else did we have in this match? Anything? No, that looks good. Yeah, Scotland's good. Bellingham, good. Everyone played well. Let's talk about the Harry Maguire stuff quickly because I'm kind of quite, I know I talk about him every time, but quite frankly, I'm a bit sick and tired of just talking about Harry Maguire when he's actually really good for England most of the time. More times than not, he's he's one of England's best defenders. One of the best defenders at all the tournaments he goes to. So unfortunately, he scored the own goal. Could have been avoided if you just don't play him in that game and give your younger players the experience. Gareth Southgate came out at the end of the match and basically said it's extremely unnecessary for the way people talk about Harry Maguire in, in the British media, which I agree with. He doesn't even play after the games for United, so it doesn't matter. But you look through and United has been so toxic for Harry Maguire it was it was silly for him to be the captain. Paying eighty million for him was always going to be difficult if you never if he didn't get to that form. But it's very hard for players to get to the peak of eighty million. There's not many players who have done it. You go back and look through the players who have uh, the clubs have played more than paid more than seventy five million for. I believe was kind of the mark $70, 75, somewhere around there. Very few of them actually hit the mark of what they're supposed to be for that team at that moment. Jack Grealish has been pretty solid. Uh, Who else is there? Like Kai Havertz never worked out at Chelsea. You can even argue Neymar on and off at PSG, wasn't he? There's a lot of players. Go and look for yourself. who just haven't worked out. Kepa is another one. And basically, just this whole situation with Harry Maguire is kind of exhausting now, isn't it? Talk about the same shit every time he's out there. And he puts in a shift for England, and that's basically what Southgate said, was he goes out there, he plays well, he's been part of one of the most successful England teams periods that England have had, which is true. I don't know. I do like how Southgate has always had Maguire's back again. I think England need him in the squad because they just don't have enough depth at centre-back, but that's also on Southgate for not playing those players. He deserves to be in the squad more than Jordan Henderson does. I think that's very fair to say and accurate, so we'll see, I'm curious how this next couple of months go for Maguire, does he get back into the United team, we'll see, I hope he starts doing well, because if we can get anything of some resembl- resemblance of what Harry Maguire was during the World Cup era, I know that was like six years ago now, during the World Cup, the Euros too, like. Hopefully that's good. He's always going to be in this England squad, whether we like it or not. So every time he comes out, we can't just question why Harry Maguire is in the team. We know why he's there because he's Southgate's boy and he does well for England. So that's kind of my thoughts on the matter. I have defended Maguire for the majority of his call-ups. I think there was one where I was like, ah, this is questionable, but it's just inevitable now. Him, Calvin Phillips, and Jordan Henderson, likely going to be in the England squad until they... Well, Calvin Phillips, we'll see, but Henderson's probably going to be in the squad until he basically retires from international. And Maguire, I don't know. England need him. Southgate loves him. He's going to play, whether we like it or not. So we can kind of put an end to that that conversation. I think is is uh, is fair. But Levi Colwell should have played. Altamore, one of those two. All right, um, second last. Topic I would like to talk about is the athletic, and just their little thing they put out this this morning, I believe it was. So basically, I believe it was just their writers or whoever they asked. They just asked for like best deal of the window, worst deal of the window, managers in trouble. This how many is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. We'll go through him. We'll start from the top, which was best signing of the window. James Madison, nine votes. Who else was on this list from the Premier League? Declan Rice to Arsenal was on there. He was second. Uh, there's a couple there from Europe. Jude Bellingham to Real Madrid. Harry Kane to Bayern Munich. And then there's a few other ones. Diaby to Villa. Ward-Prowse to West Ham. And, yeah, the other ones. Van, Van der Veen to Tottenham. Dominic Oh, my goodness. Why am I even trying to say his name? You know who I mean. Zaboslia. That's how you say it. Dominic Zaboslia. Something like that. Anyway, Deliverable was another one too, and then there's a couple other ones there. I think James Madison is the fair one. I think he's been outstanding for Tottenham, especially in a period where they lost Harry Kane. I think it's fair to say he was the best transfer of the window. No, he's done nothing to prove us to prove anyone wrong that he wasn't a great deal for Tottenham he fits into that orange ball very nicely can he maintain it I believe so because he's basically the heartbeat of Tottenham football club right now so I really like that signing Declan Rice has been strong obviously Bellingham has been phenomenal for Real Madrid too I think it's fair to say Real Madrid would still have great success without Jude Bellingham but Tottenham probably wouldn't have the same success without James Madison. That's probably fair to say. Next one. Worst sign in the transfer window. No, this one's not a good look for me because I said this guy might be the transfer of the summer. He's not helped me so far. Kai Avert, six votes for the worst transfer of the window so far. Moses Caicedo, five. That feels harsh. He's played like two games. Mason Mount, three. Hoyland to United as one. Cole Palmer, Koulibaly, Endo to Liverpool as one and who I don't even think has played a game yet for Forrest, has won as well. Look, I don't know how to judge this one so far. Havertz probably is the worst signing so far, but what have they played? Four games? Is it fair to label him so early as a terrible signing? you got to give these guys some time to actually adapt to the team. $65 million over Havertz does seem like a lot at this moment in time. Do I think Havertz can turn it around? Yeah, can he get back to the Leverkusen form? Probably not anymore. I don't think Kai Havertz is that guy at the moment. I think his, I think his confidence is down. Should he have done what Timo Werner's done, where he just went back to the Bundesliga and find, to find success again? That might have been a better play. But I do think Mikel Arteta can get the best out of Kai Havertz. Chelsea's been a shit show for the past two or three seasons. Kai Havertz was obviously part of it, but he scored that big goal in the Champions League. He has his moments, doesn't he? Just about adapting him and getting his confidence back up, and I do think we'll find some uh, some of the old Kai Havertz in there. Again, Moises Caicedo second. High, high fee, and that's probably why he's in there. If you go and read it on The Athletic, it, it, it does explain it. Feels harsh. Hoyland has played like a half. I don't think that one's very fair either. Cole Palmer's played, again, like 30, 40 minutes. We'll see. We'll see on a lot of these guys. Maybe we'll address this one too in a couple of months. Uh, most surprising. Cole Palmer to Chelsea has eight votes. Anzu Fati to Brighton. That is a crazy one. Two votes. Endo to Liverpool Henderson to the Saudi League. Harry Kane, Kula Bali gone. Mason Mount, Ruben Neves, David Rea. Oh, David Rea, sorry. Nuno Tavares and Sandro Tonali. Those are the most surprising deals, causing to The Athletic. The Cole Palmer one was very surprising for this reason. Chelsea love to sell their academy players. But they can go out and buy Cole Palmer for whatever it was. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. They they have quality within that academy. We, we've seen it. We see it across the Premier League, right? Like Mason Mount, obviously, has come through there. Tamori, um, Tariq Lafferty, Kind of in a bit of a slump in his career, I guess you could say. But yeah, that was very surprising. For me, though, it is Anzu Fati, who's the most surprising transfer of the window. Because this kid, everyone thought he was going to be the next big thing. And he's got a lot of time. What is he? He's not older than 23, I don't think. To go to Brighton from Barcelona is a crazy, crazy deal. If you had told me 10 years ago, Brighton would have got a player from Barcelona, probably would have laughed. But well, this is going to be bad. I think he's going to really take off at Brighton because, quite frankly, everybody does. They find a way. So I'll say my most surprising is uh, Anzu Fatty, but Copán was definitely up there. Best window. Brighton was one with five votes. Arsenal four. West Ham had two. City had a couple. Forest had a couple. Bournemouth, Chelsea, Liverpool, Newcastle, and Spurs all had one. Brighton was very good. However... I'm going to give this one to Tottenham. I'm not sure how we can give the best sign-in to James Madison, but the best window not to Spurs. Considering they lost Harry Kane as well, I know that position hasn't really been resolved yet. We'll see if Richarlison can turn his career around. Pretty, Pretty sad images of him crying and then talking about how he needs to get himself help a little bit too which is which is good it's always good to address your your mental health obviously and get help there so hopefully Richarlison can find a better form here and and get a goal for his own sake so I'll go with Spurs van der Veen is a good signing too so I like that one the new goalie as well looks very promising I can't remember his name off the top of my head so I'm gonna go with Tottenham as my uh best window in the Premier League uh the worst window it's funny isn't it Chelsea is Chelsea's first Everton is uh, Everton and Wolves are second with four each. Luton had a couple of votes, and then Burnley, Palace, United, and Sheffield United all had one each. I'm going to lay off Chelsea a little bit here. They're an easy target. I think everyone's just going to pick them because they just spend the most money, but Jackson looks good. Sanchez isn't the best sign, I guess you could say. Moses Caicedo will be good because he's just a good football player. I'm going to go Everton. They never address the fact that Dominic Calvert Lewin is injured all the time. Lost to Mari Gray. They're a team that looks bound for relegation, and as their own fault from poor spending in the past and not spending when you need to and on good players. They need to get better in a lot of areas. So I'm going to go Everton as the worst worst transfer window from a Premier League club. Uh, what deal do you expect to happen in January, Ivan Tony? To leave Brentford and Mo Salah to Saudi Arabia, both had three each. Uh, Paulina to buy in Munich, had two, but he just signed a new deal to stay at Fulham, so that's not going to happen. Sanchez to leave, had two as well. Um, Donny van der Beek to leave United. Basuma to leave Spurs. Maguire to leave United. Calvin Phillips to leave City. And they all had one. Ivan Tony, I think, will stay until the summer. Mo Salah... I could see them getting something figured out there for him to stay at Liverpool. I don't see that one happening. I'm going to go with Harry Maguire to leave. I think United eventually will just have to send him out on loan or something like that. I'll go with that one. And I think Sancho's uh, Sancho, sorry, will also be gone from United as well. Is the Saudi league good or bad news for football? Nine said nine said good. Six said not sure. Four said bad. I'm kind of in the middle. I don't think it's good or bad. I think it's I think it's just so new to everyone right now. It's hard to say what it's like. And I know a lot of teams in Europe and, and players by the sound of it are frustrated by the fact of how much money they can kind of throw out there to players and everything. But competition isn't such a bad thing. Maybe it just makes European football a bit better in some ways. I think FIFA will figure out a way to balance it a little bit. I think it's unfair that their transfer window goes until I believe September 20th. I'm not sure what it is in January. That needs to, I think the world of football should just be all on the same day, whenever it may be. It's just equal you need an equal playing field, right? So I'll say not sure. I'm not sure if it's good, not sure if it's bad. People were saying we'll see a team in the Champions League in a few years. Uh I, I don't see it. I think Asian football will just get better. And then it'll just build from there and we'll just start watching the the Asian Champions League, whatever it's called. Like a lot of players are now going to Qatar. So um Coutinho went to Qatar. Draxler's gone there too. Obviously, these are guys who were supposed to be brilliant and never really panned out for them. We'll see what they can kind of do, but those are some steps as well. So I think that's what it'll be. We won't see a team in the UEFA Champions League. We'll just all start watching the Asian Champions League. Last couple here. There's three left. Uh, this one is kind of whatever. Under the radar signing with the biggest impact, James Ward prowse is number one. Sure. The one I kind of like on this list, though, is Callum Hudson odoi Let's not forget Bayern Munich wanted Hudson odoi not so long ago. And for Forrest to only play five million for a player of that quality is really, really good business. He's obviously going to have to find his feet. But if he can get anything close and Forrester got a player on the hands, especially after losing Brennan Johnson, that could be a good signing for them. The premier league manager under the most pressure, Sean Dyche was given eight, Eric Ten Hag five, Eddie Howe three, Arteta company and O'Neill and Pochettino all given one. See Dyche is obviously under pressure but he hasn't been given the backing from the board. I don't think on the players he's been able to sign, so I wouldn't give him eight. I would give it Eric Ten Hag for the fact of one, he's arguably the biggest club in the world, one of at least top four probably, and two, he just some of the statements he comes out with, and it's just so much controversy around Manchester United all the time. You got the Sancho thing last week, and then there's all the Harry Maguire stuff, along with Mason Greenwood, and now the Anthony. Anthony's situation as well, which is something in its own world. How is it not Ten Hag, the, the manager, under the most pressure? Results are needed in United. They've not had good results since Ferguson left. Last season was brilliant for them. Can they get back on track and, and figure it out? Probably. I would say he's under the most pressure, now, not Sean Dyche. Who will finish in the top five? This is a predicted top five by The Athletic. Uh, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Spurs... Manchester United, probably fair to assume most five. I think the team I would have fallen out of the top five would be United. I think Brighton is could push him. Newcastle, if they can get back on track, I think once Newcastle get a good run of form in them, they'll be fine. Villa, I don't see pushing for fifth. And it, People have Chelsea on here. Not a chance for me. I don't, I don't see it. Chelsea are a ways away from competing for Champions League spots. Who will finish in the bottom three? So we've got two more left. Oh, this is the last one, sorry. Uh Luton get the most votes. Sheffield United. Everton is their relegated three. And then it's Burnley, Wolves, Bournemouth and Fulham. I think that's probably fair. I did think Burnley would be a bit better. They've very been very disappointing Again, it's still early doors. So we'll see. Luton, no, though, I don't think they have enough quality. Same with Sheffield United. And Everton... I said at the start of the season they'd be fine before the last game of the season. I think this is going to be an absolute dogfight for them because they don't have enough quality in the team. So I think that's accurate. Luton, Sheffield United, and Everton would be my bottom three. Going down for now, can they turn it around? Plenty of games left. Luton need to get some good home form in them. So there you go. That's the athletics uh, polls. I was just curious. I wanted to go through that. Do that little exercise. Last segment of the day, the Betway Premier League predictions. Brought to you by Betway, obviously. 19 plus, please bet responsibly. First up, Wolves-Liverpool. Easy one. We're going Liverpool for that one. Minus 225. Not a lot of value there. Um, Villa-Palace. I'm going to go with a draw for this one. Palace is such a they're such an intriguing team, are they? It should be so much better than they are. I'll go with a draw. If not a draw, then Villa are going to win it. It is at Villa Park. Fulham-Luton. Fulham, obviously, good team, kind of in the middle of the park, aren't they? I just got a weird feeling about Luton in this game, and plus four twenty five is uh, a juicy. So I'm gonna go out on this one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess Luton for the fun of it. Plus four twenty five, you can't miss on four twenty five. United, Brighton at Old Trafford. I'm taking Brighton. They're too good. Too good, and they're not controversial enough to, to be anyone's hated team, are they? So United, just a lot of turmoil going on right now. They've not been in great form. United are plus, they're the favorites, at 115. Brighton plus 200, I'm going with that. Spurs, Sheffield United, I'm going with Spurs at home. West Ham City, I'm going with City away, minus 200. Newcastle, Brentford, I'm going to go with Newcastle at home. Bournemouth, Chelsea. You got I gotta go with Chelsea, I think. They've been okay to start the season. They gotta get a result eventually. Minus 130. Everton Arsenal. Arsenal away. Minus 200. Forest, Burnley, Monday night football. We'll go with Forest plus 115. I think that's my bet of the week is Forrest to win at home at the City Ground. If you have any bets, let me know. But um it's basically a wrap on this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week, probably. Hopefully, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll get back on track. But yes, have a good rest of the week. Enjoy your weekend, and see you later.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus.